if you encounter ad- adversity along the way, that's going to be your test. And, and I think the best thing to do is to embrace the adversity, to, to figure out this is a challenge. How do I, how do I overcome this? Don't think that that challenge is, is the sign that you've got to quit. I think that challenge is the sign that do you have what it takes to see it through? You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Wow, Michael, this episode, it's awesome, isn't it? I'm loving it. It was awesome to have Tony Hawk on the show and what an inspiration and what a story. Really, truly, truly. I mean, I felt like I was a teenager again talking to this guy, you know, and the stuff he, he, he was talking about made me want to like jump on my skateboard and get out there and do some fun stuff. Uh, but we learned a lot about adversity and, and stick to itiveness from Tony. And, you know, we, we also got to do one of our other installments of this new segment we've been doing called Success Leaves Clues. That's right. Coming up at the end. And today's guest on that is one of the folks that we've worked with inside our program, a guy named Dan Nisker from Nisker Fitness. And his story is pretty amazing, isn't it, Michael? I mean, it's, this- uh, it's tremendous. I mean, it's gone from seven clients to over 180 clients, and he's making a massive difference for his clients. And you're going to love hearing what he's done and how he's done it at the end of the show. You know, I think that uh, one of the best things about having this segment, Michael, is that we get to, to showcase ordinary people that are achieving extraordinary things. Exactly. And it's beautiful. And to be able to pair Dan Nesker with the great Tony Hawk, I'm really excited. And I think the folks listening to the episode today, they're in for a real treat. You betcha. Let's play it. Let's go. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. And I'm the other co-host, Michael Palmer. And I got to tell you, folks, we have a real treat for you today. Our guest on today's episode is none other than the living legend himself, Tony Hawk. Tony is the greatest skateboarder of all time. He is a super successful entrepreneur, philanthropist. And I just checked earlier today, he actually has won nine gold medals at the Summer X Games in skateboarding, tons of other first place finishes. And he's just uh, somebody that I personally admire, and I'm really honored to have him here on the show today. Hello, Tony. Hello, hello. Welcome, Birdman. Ah, thank you. The name of this podcast, Tony, is The Business of Thought Leadership. And what essentially it's all about is, is having folks listen to our guest experts on how they've taken what they love, what their expertise is, what they've spent a lifetime honing and, and pursuing with a passion and turning it into a commercial income stream. Would you mind taking a moment to just tell people your story and how you've gone about doing that? Well, I don't know how to, how to summarize, but basically... I started skating at a very early age, about nine years old. And when I really got into it is about the time when it was dying in popularity. So I didn't really think I was choosing a career for myself. I just thought it was, you know, something I really enjoyed doing and gave me a sense of confidence. And so I stuck with it, even though all my friends quit. And for the most part, the general population wasn't interested anymore. Wow. Um, but found myself suddenly thrust into a, a, a version of success in my teenage years because it started to come back and I was, I was doing really well in competition and suddenly I had 
I had signature products, I had an income. And while all my classmates are trying to figure out where they're going to college, I realized that I already had a career that just sort of fell into my lap. Well, you know, something I worked for, but not that I expected it to ever be a way of life or living. And then, uh, sort of rode the wave of success through the late eighties. And then everything kind of took a dive again. Skating was very cyclical in popularity and, and then in the early nineties, um, I kind of died and I stuck with it cause I still loved it. And, and, you know, I was, I was still able to provide for family, even though it was much, much more difficult and much more time consuming at that point. And then, uh, as skating sort of came back into the limelight, that was around the mid to late nineties, X Games started, we created the video game series and that was more something that I was excited about because I thought it represented skating well and it would inspire skaters to maybe want to play video games. I didn't really think it was going to resonate beyond the skate world. But once that took off, that was the tipping point for me in terms of being a brand and and starting other businesses and, and realizing there was much more opportunity out there that was beyond just skate specific companies. And, and, you know, that's basically when I, I started to branch out and, and start other brands and really, you know, try to, it was more trying to promote skateboarding on a bigger level. That was my goal. That's a fantastic goal. It's a great story. You know, one thing I pulled out of what you just said, Tony, was that even though the popularity of the sport took a couple of dips during your journey. You stuck with it. You believed in it. You loved it. It was important to you, so you stuck with it. I think that's so important for the listener here to pull out of the story because if you've got a message, if you believe in something strongly enough, you know, at some point there's going to be folks who are going to value it. Isn't that really what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. But also I think what, what those years taught me is that I don't look back on those years as a struggle. I was still able to do what I love, you know what I mean? And, and I enjoyed going to work, even though it wasn't for as much money as I used to make. And I didn't know what the future held. I just knew that th- this was the most fun I was having. And, and I enjoyed what I did for a living. And I feel like now having, you know, bigger success than I ever imagined in terms of finances, it's still the core of that is that I really, I would do this for free anyway. So I feel like that that's the measure of success in my eyes after having been through all that is that if you really love what you do for a living, that is being successful because you're going to enjoy going to work and, and the, you know, the money is somewhat incidental to that. Tony, you were a really successful skateboarder, really good at it, despite as one of our uh, listeners was saying, you know, breaking a few bones here and there, but you then moved that into business. And so I'd be really interested to know what was it about you and how you took on starting a business, being a skateboarder and then starting a business. What, what did that look like when you did that? <laughs> uh, it looked very risky at the time. I, I started my business when skating was in probably its worst lull uh, around 1992. But I had faith that skating would, would come back around. I didn't think it would come back so big as it has, but, but I had a feeling that skating was going to come back into, you know, the, the sort of populace and, and, and the collective. But I started the brand with, uh, by taking out a second mortgage on my house. And so that seemed like the most ridiculous idea that, you know, skateboarding is in its deadest state. 
you're going to risk your your investment to start a whole new brand. But at the same time, I felt like we could take advantage of that lull because it was easier to establish ourselves as one of the prominent brands at a time when there weren't many brands around anymore. And we had some of the best skaters. And so it was kind of like, it was easier to get um, better advertising space, like for the magazines, you know, the magazines were struggling to get advertising. So we would be able to get the back cover of the magazine. And we just started you know, at the most grassroots level where it was like, the team I had was literally stenciling their boards with our logos. And we were out shooting video every day. They were all living in my house for weeks on end. And we would just go out and get video footage. And then we, we literally made a VHS tape of our, of our best stuff and sent it out to anyone that was interested. You know, we said, Hey, send us $5. (laughs) We actually had people sending cash in the mail back then. Wow. Um, Send us $5 and we'll send you our video. And we didn't, we weren't trying to make money on the video. It was just to promote the new brand we created. It's remarkable. And it was fun. Yeah, I can hear that. And it's, you mentioned risk, you know, skateboarding and doing something like the 900 is risky. And so it sounds like you took that same, ability to deal with risk and, and, uh, and take it into business. I, I think there are a lot of parallels in that approach to what I do and also to the businesses I've helped to create where I was, yeah, I was willing to take that risk because I could see the end result, you know, it's, it didn't always come, but, but it was worth, it was worth trying. You know, with that story, it's a remarkable story. I mean, I'm just curious to know what some of the people in your life were saying. It's like they're looking at the trend going down and you're looking at, okay, well, let's start the business in a business that's shrinking. What were people saying to you? Uh, well, I, I got lucky that I, I had a good support group. I mean, my, my parents were, you know, they, they could have definitely been discouraging, but but they were they knew it was my passion. And, and and I guess the the funny part of that is that I thought that starting a company was my transition away from being a pro skater and then becoming sort of a brand manager or businessman. And so my my parents saw that same thing, and so they were thinking that I was creating this future for myself as a businessman, you know, not really as as a as a figurehead for the brand and a skater. You brought it right um, but back. I on. never, That's I had awesome. never quit skating through those years. So. Um, at some point with our brand, the, the other people involved said, you know, you're more effective out there sort of, uh, promoting the brand as opposed to back here, creating ads, <laughs> you know, and, and trying to find graphics for the, for the skateboards. Like this, this is where you're better suited for. And I actually borrowed money from my parents right around that time because, we were struggling, you know, as a brand, it wasn't, it wasn't like we started and we we were going gangbusters. We actually like really were barely surviving for the, for the first few years. So I borrowed money from my parents to buy a a professional video editing system because I knew how to do that from my previous experience with skate videos. And I started freelancing video editing. Uh, And that was kind of how I made ends meet for a good year of that, of that time. So, Tony, how long was it from the time that you started the company till the time where you started to see the first real signs of success? About five years. Wow. Maybe four. I mean, after four years, there was, there was a hint that, that was picking up. And, you know, that was right around the time that the X Games started. That's when, when we had much more visibility and people were recognizing 
that we were doing something and, and that, you know, I, I got lucky in that people remember my name from my 80s success. So I kind of got to ride two waves of success at the same time. So I had that uh, advantage when, when things came back around and people were stoked on birdhouse, you know, they would, they thought we had a really good team, but it was, uh, it was a struggle for those first four years. I mean, it was a lot of questioning if we were going to shut it down a lot of top ramen, a lot of Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that on your, um, on your website, the $5 a day Taco Bell allowance. I thought that was cute. So, yeah, it didn't feel that cute at the time, but, um, <laughs> but it worked. For sure, for sure. I could totally get that. Kept you alive. What had you stick through it, man? Because like a lot of people would have quit. Let's face it, almost everybody would have quit. I just loved skating, you know, and, and I loved I loved that it kept me relevant, and I loved that I was fostering a team, and, and I was going to see that through. I mean, you know, at some point, obviously, you, you have to give up, but we were luckily just sort of limping along, and I had that option to, to, to really stick with it. And I was passionate about it. You know, I really, I, I believed in what we were doing. I believed in the products. I believed in the team. I believed in the vibe. And I had this notion that at some point, other people are going to recognize this and figure this out. It doesn't always work that way, but, you know, it worked for us. That's fantastic. So if you're wanting to give a message to a listener to this podcast, right, who is starting to get involved in something they're very passionate about and, and maybe you're feeling a bit of nervousness or anxiety because the results aren't quite showing, what would you tell them? What would be your advice to someone like that? Um, I would say if it's truly your fashion to, to stick with it, to, to really see it through, and also to not just think because you have a great idea that that's when it is what's going to carry it. It's, it's, you know, you've got to learn all the aspects of what you're doing. And I think that's something that I learned by default, almost by accident, where I didn't know anything about purchase orders or, you know, or displays or retail or credit, you know, I, I was just kind of going blindly. And I, and as those things came up, I chose to, I chose to learn about them because I knew it would benefit me in the future. And, and that is the advantage that you'll have later on. But, but really you've got to, you've got to embrace all those aspects. And if you encounter ad adversity along the way, that's going to be your test. And, and I think the best thing to do is to embrace the adversity to, to figure out this is a challenge. How do I how do I overcome this? Don't think that that challenge is, is the sign that you've got to quit. I think that challenge is the sign that do you have what it takes to see it through. It's, you know, remarkable story and there's more to tell to the story. And I want to dig in now to when you started working with your video games. It's a remarkable what, what that where that's gone. What was it like getting into that situation and how has it has sort of progressed? Uh, well, I was always into video games as a kid. So to, to have the idea of, of or to, to be presented with the idea of, of doing a skate video game was very exciting to me. And through the years, there have been a few scattered games, even, you know, since the arcade, like since Pac-Man days, there were, there were um, Commodore 64 games games, California games, skate or die that, you know, there was a bunch of, of tests, but nothing that really, nothing that resonated across, um, or that rose to the top of the video games. And for me, the journey was, I got approached by a PC developer to design a skate game because he had an idea of, of how to do controls. 
and he asked me if I would join him and pitch the game to different publishing companies, which we did for a little while and came up against a lot of, a lot of negativity, a lot of pushback. It was just more, you know, we were defending like, why would anyone, skateboarding is not even popular. Why would anyone want to play a skateboarding video game? You know, what are the, what is the goal here? The where you know, it just wasn't, it didn't fit into the traditional video game sense. So he, he got discouraged. He gave up, but luckily that put my name out there in the video game industry that, that I was wanting to do something. So not long after that, I got a call from Activision and they said, you know, we, we heard you're trying to do a game. We are working on a skateboard game and we'd love you to come see what, what we're working on. And so I, I went up to Santa Monica Activision and they had just done a video game called Apocalypse and Bruce Willis was the star of the game. Nice. And it, it did not do well, <laughs> but the bad. engine they created was really good for skating, you know, for, for, for motion of the skating. And so they sent, they, they showed me basically, uh, they had me play this game that was Bruce Willis on a skateboard with a gun strapped to his back, skating through this dystopian wasteland. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> Because not because that's what the game idea was, because those are the default characters and landscapes they had. But the idea that they put a skateboard into it was was brilliant. Because as soon as I played the the very limited control scheme they had, I, I realized that that was it. This is this is how it should feel. This is the motion. You know, the the, the controls are fairly intuitive if you already skate. And I thought, this is it. You know, this is, this is what I, I always wanted to do. And, and I signed up right away and we got working on, you know, I knew that with my resources and with my experience that I could make this game something that, that is authentic and fun to play for skaters. And we worked on the game for about two and a half years, fine tuning all the, you know, all the motion, all the, the, the challenges, all the locations and the skaters. And I was hugely proud of it, but I thought, like I said, I thought it was just something that would resonate with skateboarders. And then, you know, we would, we, it would run its course. That's crazy, right? Like uh, it's it, like, what have been the total sales of the games right now? It's like over a billion dollars. Yeah. I right? mean, it's just total. It's been over a billion dollars in, in sales, you know, over all the, the different sequels and the different consoles. And I mean, it changed my life for sure. And it allowed me to. I guess the irony of that success is that you think it would keep you busier, but it allowed me to really to skate more and better than ever because I wasn't skating just trying to make ends meet. I had the freedom to skate how and when I wanted to. Damn, that's awesome. I mean, just listening to your story, I feel like a kid again. Uh, you, <laughs> you know, it's it's just awesome. Like I'm like, wow, right on, right on, right wow, on. Thank you. So Tony, what what's kind of on the horizon for you? What's next? Where are you taking the uh, you know uh, the, the Tony Hawk vision going forward? Uh, well, I, you know, Brewery House is still going strong. We've been in business over twenty five years now. Um, actually, coming up on twenty five years. Wow, which is pretty rare for a skate company. And uh, we're working on a team video right now, so that's that's probably my number one priority for the next six months is, is trying to provide the opportunity for our team to really shine in, in that video and, and to, to bring it out at a time when, you know, videos are still, it's almost an outdated way of, of putting out a, a team promotion because 
you know, just with, with the way the content goes now, as soon as that video is out on, on any format, it's going to be uploaded to YouTube <laughs> and, and live right. there. But at the same time, I want them to have that experience of, of something that is cohesive and it's almost like we're going to do a movie premiere for it. Other than that, still working very hard on our foundation for public skate parks and low-income areas. We've been doing that for the last 14 years. Uh, we've helped to fund over 500 parks now, and we have an international program with Skatistan, and we, so we help to fund their project in low-income areas across the world, like in Cambodia and in um, South Africa. I'm hugely proud. I mean, that's you know what, the work I'm most proud of. Yeah, it's yeah. remarkable. Tell us a bit more about the foundation, if you wouldn't mind, Tony. I think you're doing really good work there, and more people should hear about it. Sure. Well, we we try to help communities that, that want to get skate parks in their areas, and we we really give them we give them resources, we give them direction on on how to cut through all the red tape, all the bureaucracy that that, that they will ensue, and it, you know it's more about empowering the people that want to help themselves as opposed to just coming into a city and saying the city needs a skate park and we wave a magic wand and they have a park and then we congratulate ourselves for it. You know, we really want them to have a sense of ownership and a sense of pride in it. That's the most fun is to see these communities that, that truly have worked hard or, you know, sometimes it's just a spark from a kid in the area that, that decided they should have a park and, and how doing everything they can to figure out how to get that. And, and then when we give them their, a seal of approval, it usually ends up pushing it through the, the right channels much faster and, and getting approvals. And almost inevitably when a, when a city finally does approve a skate park project and build it, they see how much use it gets. They see that it gets more use than say the other sports fields of the city. And they're used from sunup to sundown. They're used by all ages and they almost inevitably build more in the area. It's a remarkable foundation. It's a remarkable story of lots of success. I mean, superhero status here in athletics as well as business and as well, you know, charitable works, philanthropy. What's your kryptonite? <laughs> What's my kryptonite? Um, I, uh, time. <laughs> my, my use of time or the limited time I have, especially, you know, raising a family and, and, and making most of that time with the kids, but also having these obligations or these expectations to travel quite a bit, you know, that, that is probably the, the biggest challenge in my life. It's not kryptonite, but it, it definitely is always there at the back of my mind, but it's been fun, you know, and, and, and honestly, like having kids, that's what inspired me to start our clothing line. Um, and my, my siblings and I started Hawk Clothing in 1998 because we had kids and we could not find cool clothes for kids during those years. I mean, it was like the only kids clothing you could find, it was like dressing them up as little dolls and it wasn't <laughs> suitable for active kids. And so that's why we started it. And now we finally have an international push to sell it. And now we're in Walmart, Canada. So we're hugely proud of how far it's come and, and that that's still the core of it is is skate lifestyle clothes for kids and, and young adults. You know what, Tony? Yeah, Michael said it best, man. You're a superstar, man. It's been total, total blast having you here on the podcast. We like to wrap up our podcast by asking our guests to give us what we call their three expert action steps. So what are three things that you would advise the listener of this podcast to do to help them really make their mark out there in the world? 
Well, number one, follow your passion. And number two, learn everything about your craft. And number three, go with your brand. Don't let someone else, you know, I know that the, there's always that exit, but, you know, unless it's really worth your while, if you give up control of your brand, it's it's going to turn into something that you didn't want or something that you don't approve of. And it almost always does. And unless you can keep that control, you know, sometimes you can have you can have someone else invest or sell your company, but sometimes you can keep that control as well. And I just fight for it. As much as you can. I love it. Love it. Now, before we let you go, we definitely want to hear about the Simpsons experience. I mean, everybody that we've told is going to have you on the show. They're like, he was on the Simpsons. What was that? Oh, like? Yes. That was by far the coolest thing that I've gotten to do <laughs> from my, <laughs> from my skateboard success. The coolest thing about it was not not doing it. I mean, when you do the voiceovers, it's more of an uh, uh, you're isolated and you're you're just doing it in a in a in a studio room. The best part about that is the table read. Every character is around the table and they read through the script, and you see these voices come out of people that you had no idea who who they were. It, it, that that is the most fun to to see it all come to life, and, and it's just nonstop laughter. Yeah, bet. Um, and then when I actually went to do the voices, like I was not in the room with Homer. I was just alone watching, watching my Simpsons character talk and trying to match the, uh, the dialogue. Yeah. With Homer and Bart, that was awesome. Yeah. That's <laughs> my kids are big Simpsons fans and we watched that. Oh piece yeah. Together. Like I said, people still ask me like, what's the, what's the best moment of your career? And, and I tell them it was, being on the Simpsons. <laughs> that was totally awesome. Okay. Listen, is there something that you would like to promote? Is there something you're up to right now? Like whether it's the foundation or anything else? Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I spoke about my, you know, what I'm doing now is definitely the birdhouse video. It's coming out next year and Hawk clothing, which is in uh, Walmart, Canada, and we're going to be in other outlets in South America and in Europe. And that's, that's what we're most excited about because we have not been able to, to do our clothing internationally until recently. That's fantastic. And what's the website for the foundation just for folks? So if they want to donate, uh, TonyHawkFoundation.org. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well. Tony, man, this was awesome. Uh, come back anytime on the show. We'd love to have you back again. And it was a real honor to have you here, buddy. It's been great having you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. You can find all of the information about Tony Hawk, the Birdman, at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Until next time, goodbye. We are back to another installment of the segment Success Leaves Clues on our podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. And our guest today is one of my best friends and one of our favorite members in our program, Dan Nisker of Nisker Fitness. Say hello, Dan. How's everyone doing today? It's great to have you on the show, Dan. Great to be here. It's awesome. an honor. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Great. We're fantastic. We're really pleased to be here. So the, the purpose of this segment, Dan, really is 
for us to showcase some of the members of our program who've had and experienced great success. So you can tell a little bit of your story, you know, tell people what it was like for you before you came into the program and what your expertise is like, and then talk a bit about, you know, what you've learned and done inside the program that's helped you and, and, and what life is like now and what kind of results you've joined. Okay. So just briefly, could you just introduce yourself, you know, what you do and uh, tell people a bit about what life was like for you before you, uh, you met us and you joined our program. All right. So my name is Dan Nisker. I'm the owner of Nisker Fitness, a mobile personal training company. And I'm also changing the way people with physical disabilities think about their health and fitness. So before the program, I was a typical struggling trainer. I had about seven clients. Every month I was worried about rent, living paycheck to paycheck. And then from doing the program, I gained a lot more clients. But what really helped me is I got to focus on a market that has not been tapped into, basically does not exist in Canada. And as well, I've really learned how to scale my business so I can take on more people without giving up so much of my physical time. That's awesome, man. So tell us a little bit about this new market. And what what had you even think about like going after a new market? Yeah, it was honestly a rare opportunity that just fell into my lap. I I have this great relationship with uh, Paralympian, who I became friends with in a volunteer organization. And then, yeah, we just clicked, shared very similar values and beliefs around training. So we started working together and through his greatness, I discovered this market that we could work together and serve a lot of these people. So Dan, uh, you said you fell into your lap and I I know your story a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think you did a lot more work to have that market actually show up whilst it did appear in front of you, you worked pretty hard on finding other markets. I know you you looked at uh, getting women ready for their wedding. You looked at helping physicians. You looked at adventure, people doing adventure sports. You were looking for a niche market that you could actually go and create a name for yourself in that market versus trying to be somebody, you know, everything to everybody. You were looking and hey, you lucked out by actually finding one that is absolutely amazing and you make a really massive difference for. But there is a bit of a backstory that I wanted to make sure that that we told. Yeah, exactly. Through my research, I started to notice that um, there's really a need for physical health and well-being when you have a physical limitation, right? So I feel this area has really been forgotten. No one's really focusing on it. So I did a lot of research. I was interviewing people, getting to know their different pains, why uh, working out is important for them. And then, yeah, just fully dove in from there. That's awesome. And you've really experienced some tremendous success as a result of this, right? So so how, how many people uh, are you serving in your business right now? Yeah, so to present day, uh, 184. Wow, from seven to 184. And how long did it take you to get there? 10 months. Unbelievable, man unbelievable 10 months folks wow and you recently found out about this guy in the states right he was doing something similar the, he was featured on that starbucks ad yeah david Fabora. right on right on so you're like canada's version of the starbucks upstander ad yeah now i just need a gym like his <laughs> that's right well that's next <laughs> buddy that's next what i find remarkable dan is that 
184 clients, I'd say that most personal trainers would do 184 clients, maybe in like a five-year or 10-year span. You have active right now 184 clients in your business. And that's a remarkable, remarkable example of leverage. You're absolutely right, Michael. It usually takes years. You usually need a bunch of trainers to make it happen. So you're obviously not seeing all of these people just one-on-one. What else are you doing to leverage your time? So I'm actually doing a lot of online. So I have five programs running of 15 people in each one. Wow. And I, yeah, I set up some group coaching to serve them. Amazing, 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 amazing. And what are some other ways that you've leveraged yourself? Because I know you don't just do personal training anymore, right? Yeah, so I also have a nutrition program as well as different systems of proven programs also around nutrition. Incredible, incredible. So Dan, the next thing I'd like to, to share with people about is, is how you've been able to find these people as well, make a difference for them in their lives. Share a little bit of the story because it's great to have 184 clients, but what are they getting out of it? Share some of those stories. Yeah, so my clients, they're getting hope. They're building their confidence and self-esteem, really improving quality of life. So going from life sucks to life is awesome. And yeah, really um, big thing is just feeling valued, knowing that they matter. Can you share an example of one of your clients? I know you've told me stories in the past, but you know you don't have to use their name. But I think what's important for the listeners to hear is you know, what's inspirational is when you're making that difference and to really hear the the actual story of someone that's transformed their life through the work you're doing. Okay. um, Yeah, I have this one client. He um, lost his right lower limb. And when I met him, he was, um, yeah, very depressed, feeling even suicidal at times, right? So yeah, I just told him uh, there's a better way how I could help him. And yeah, just how he's transformed with his fitness. He's doing activities that are even challenging for someone that's fully able-bodied. Like, So I get him doing stuff like battle ropes, med ball slams. And yeah, just completely different change in his attitude. He's, he's also lost about 30 pounds. It's remarkable. What's that like, yeah. Dan, for you to, to be doing this kind of work? I mean, a lot of people think a fitness trainer, you know, the people come in, you you tell them to do some exercises and go about your merry way. And you're taking a person from really a, a tough place in their life to where they're throwing slams and balls, medicine balls and all that stuff around. And it's remarkable. What's that like? You, you really feel a sense of purpose. Every day I wake up and I'm like, these people need me. And it just, it gets me fired up. Watching them get re- the results, it's, it's the best reward ever. And you're bringing tears to my eyes, buddy. <laughs> my God. Yeah, I, I love it. This is amazing. You know what, Dan? Your story is a very inspirational one. And uh, it's one of the reasons we asked you to come on onto this segment. Because I think that, you know, if you can do it, anybody can do it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you want to leave people with? Yeah. I just want to say how awesome the program's been, been working with you guys. I truly recommend it to anyone in business looking to up their game and income. 
Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. It's it's a pleasure, and especially you and the work that you're doing. It sure makes us feel uh, feel great to be contributing to the work that you're doing. You know, you say it's an honor to to, to be on on our show. It's an honor for us to have you on the show. It really is, given the amazing work you're doing and the difference you're making in people's lives. God bless you, man. Thank you, guys. Much love. Thank you, Dan. You take care. Bye-bye. You too, man. That wraps another segment of Success Leaves Clues. If you'd like to learn more about Dan Nisker and Nisker Fitness or to learn about the program that he's in with us, you can go to thebusinessoffoughtleadership.com. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening. 